Defunding the police has been a colossal failure. We'll talk a little bit more about the history of the Israel-Palestine conflict. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, a congresswoman, has been wrecked in maybe the funniest troll I've ever seen in my life. And suddenly it's okay to talk about the coronavirus coming from the Wuhan lab? Huh. I'm Patrick Jolliker, and this is the Hemlock Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Hemlock Podcast. So good to be back. I know we took a bit of a bit of a break there. Um, my wife actually had some pretty severe health issues with which uh, some of you might have seen on Instagram. Um, she's got it all figured out. The doctors were great and figured out what was what was going on. And so um, we were in and out of the ER for a little while there. Um, but she's doing a lot better now. So thank you to everyone who uh, sent out thoughts and prayers. Um, that always means a lot. And she's doing a lot better now. So. Uh, the other reason I've been I've been quite busy lately is I uh, we just launched the website for the Hemlock Podcast. So HemlockPodcast.com. I'm super pumped about it. You guys know how big I am on like having my sources available for people. I always put those in the episode descriptions. Now we've got a hub for that. So I've got all the episode profiles on the site. So all my sources for every episode will be listed there. You can go check them out for yourself. Vet what I'm saying. I've never asked you to just trust me tacitly, right? I, I hope you have inquiring minds and you want to look into what I'm talking about yourself. Don't just take my word for it. Don't expect that. Um, I'm not trying to hide the ball. And so that's why I list my sources. So feel free to jump in. If you disagree with what I'm saying, look at look at the, some of the sources. And if you disagree with that, that's what discussion's for. You can comment on the episodes there as well. Um, so look forward to seeing you there. Um, with that, we're launching memberships. So that comes with, there's a few different tiers of membership. It comes from anything from like ad-free episodes to submitting mailbag questions so you can get your comments on the show. Um, live hangouts, which I'm really looking forward to. A lot of you talked about like wanting to discuss things more one-on-one, so I'm looking to do like live hangouts, um, which will be starting hopefully in the next week or two. Um, and then we're doing a, uh, a free water bottle with every annual membership. So many that we have our trusty tumbler over here that won't be here much longer because we um, are launching a based water bottle. So uh, as some of you don't, if you don't know what based means, um, go check out the website. If you go to hemlockpodcast.com slash memberships, you'll see pictures of the water bottle. Hopefully next week I'll have, next couple of weeks I'll have my own. I ordered mine. Um, so that should be coming soon and you can see one in real life. So anyway, super excited about that. Go check out the website. Um, support if you would like. All your support means a ton. Thank you to those who already do support because it just warms my heart. Um, also, if you got some time, leave some Leo five-star rating on iTunes with a written review. I love the written reviews because it warms my heart um yeah just makes me smile to hear what you guys think um and uh and to know that people appreciate what i'm doing so thanks so much uh, and then as always save 40 bucks on your first good food box clicking the link um on the episode profile on the website or in the description of the episode on itunes wherever it is itunes apple Podcasts. um you can save 40 bucks in your first box they just package you package up delicious meals for you. They get to cook yourself. They're like fine dining quality. My wife and I love it. We cook them together all the time. We had a steak with salsa verde the other day. It was like insane. Like they're just, they're all delicious. We haven't had a single meal that we don't like. Um, we've been doing it for like a year now. So um, they're phenomenal. Go check them out. I'll talk a little bit more about them later. Let's jump in. So defunding the police. Um, <laughs> a little BLM update, right? Um, so first of all, let's talk about Patrice Cullors. So she is, uh, I think she was the one who had the comment about BLM. Uh, we're trained Marxists. She was the one who just opened about them being openly Marxist, which is crazy. Um, and 
evil <laughs> if you know anything about marxism uh i mean that's just my opinion but uh look into marxism you decide for yourself um but she has now left blm <laughs> because uh she's been accused of using a bunch of that money for like buying a whole bunch of different properties in predominantly white neighborhoods which is hilarious to me uh and kind of ironic but this is from the new york post the embattled co-founder of black lives matter announced on thursday that she's resigning as executive director amid criticism over her lavish lifestyle patrice colors 37 who has been at the helm of the black lives matter global network foundation for nearly six years said she is leaving to focus on a book and tv deal her resignation comes amid controversy over the group's finances and colors personal wealth including an alleged real estate buying spree in which she snagged four high-end homes for $3.2 million in the U.S., according to Property Records reported last month. I think I made this comment already. <laughs> it's amazing how capitalists all these Marxists are when they uh, when they come into a little cash. This is a person who like openly advocates um, for dismantling our entire capitalist system, and yet she's buying property all over the place. Uh, the BLM Foundation revealed in February that it took in just over $90 million last year following the May 2020 murder of George Floyd, a black man whose last breaths under the knee of a white Minneapolis police officer inspired protests globally. The foundation said it ended 2020 with a balance of more than $60 million after spending nearly a quarter of its assets on operating expenses, grants to black-led organizations, and other charitable giving. Critics of the foundation contend more of that money should have gone to the families of black victims of police brutality who have been unable to access the resources needed to deal with their trauma and loss. That is the most tragic aspect, said the Reverend T. Sherry Dickerson, uh, president of an Oklahoma City BLM chapter and a representative of the hashtag BLM10, a national group of organizers that has publicly criticized the foundation over funding and transparency. I know some of the families are feeling exploited, their pain exploited, and that's not something I ever want to be affiliated with, Dickerson said. So, again, you see this, this is a running theme through through a lot of this BLM stuff, through a lot of the, um, whether it's governors or mayors of a lot of, of a lot of cities during the COVID coronavirus crisis or the BLM stuff. It's just a level of hypocrisy. It's, it's a rules for thee, but not for, for me policy, right? Where people in power get into power sometimes nobly, right? But so often um, they abuse those positions and they enforce rules for everyone else, the, the peasants beneath them, right? Uh, and they never follow them themselves. Governor Newsom have talked about going to fancy restaurants uh, when we're supposed to be in, when California was supposed to be in full lockdown. Um, you look at some of the hypocrisy of uh, Patrice Collars buying properties when she's completely anti-capitalist, right? Um you look at uh, a lot of these world leaders that are just all over the place disobeying the mandates that they've given for their own populations, right? There's examples of hypocrisy all over the place. Um, on the flip side, there's a gentleman named Rashad Turner uh, who left BLM. So there's an article talking about him. Uh, the founder of a Minnesota Black Lives Matter chapter said he turned his back on the organization because the ugly truth is the, leaders, the group's leaders don't care about black families. Rashad Turner, who is now executive director of the Minnesota Parent Union, stressed the need for education in helping black families change their lives for the better. Turner, who was founder of the St. Paul chapter of the group in 2015, said he left after just two years when he realized BLM leaders were issuing statements against teachers' unions and even the nuclear family structure. We talked about that. I believe it was episode two. Uh, Turner released a video Wednesday last week that described his falling out with BLM for not caring about improving the quality of education for students across the state. So here is that video. Trying a new system and it's not working. Here we go. <laughs> okay. <laughs> 
I was born in Minneapolis in 1985. We called the North Side home at that time, 18th and Queen. When I was two years old, my father was shot and killed. My mother wasn't able to take care of me, so I was raised by my grandparents. They told me that if I was going to change my life for the better, education was the answer. So I worked hard in school. I got into Hamlin University and earned a college degree, first in my family. Then I went on to earn a master's in education from St. Mary's University of Minnesota. I am living proof that no matter your start in life, quality education is a pathway to success. I want the same success for our children in our communities. That's why in 2015, I was a founder of Black Lives Matter in St. Paul. I believe the organization stood for exactly what the name implies. Black lives do matter. However, after a year on the inside, I learned they had little concern for rebuilding black families, and they cared even less about improving the quality of education for students in Minneapolis. That was made clear when they publicly denounced charter schools alongside the teachers union. I was an insider in Black Lives Matter, and I learned the ugly truth. The moratorium on charter schools does not support rebuilding the black family, but it does create barriers to a better education for black children. I resigned from Black Lives Matter after a year and a half, but I didn't quit working to improve black lives and access to a great education. Today, I serve as the president and executive director of Minnesota Parent Union. We're dedicated to helping parents move their children from failing schools to successful schools. It's hard work, and we're up against forces that don't want us to succeed. But success is possible. Just look at me and the hundreds of children and families we've helped to pursue a great education, break the chains of poverty, and lead a life of success. Awesome. Love it. So that's Rashad Turner. Uh, it's weird. It's almost like you heard a certain white guy talking about that last year sometime if you're listening to the podcast uh, just talking about how education and a proper family structure right fathers in the home mothers in the home um no matter what race or people group you're in uh that's so important because it's a, it's totally negatively correlated uh with things like crime and education levels and graduating high school and likelihood of getting incarcerated all that stuff you have a good family you're way less likely to have any of that stuff happen to you right um so i love what he's saying there right he found out that blm isn't about that they're about breaking down the family structure right um they side with the teachers unions which is anti-education in a lot of cases right because teachers unions have a lot of selfish motives a lot of the time um, and those things are very often not good for students. There's a lot of great teachers out there. That's not what I'm saying. Uh, teachers unions tend to fight for, for just the teacher's interests. And oftentimes the students' interests are, are they play second fiddle. Um, just going on, the BLM Global Network Foundation website stated in remarks that have since been deleted that, so obviously this didn't look very good on them, so they deleted them, uh, that the fight for freedom, liberation, and justice, uh, quote unquote, can only occur through the disruption of such family units and embrace of a more village-like black communities. Uh, of more, sorry, embrace of more village-like black communities. Traditional words for parents like fathers were deliberately avoided and replaced with gender-neutral terms for parents. Um, so again, you just have, why why, why is a, an organization, because obviously I agree with what he said there, black lives do matter. Of course that sentence is true, right? Um, but the organization is what I've been critiquing this whole time, and there's plenty of grounds for, for an honest critique of this organization. Um, 
one of their biggest tenets was this whole defunding the police thing. One of the funniest comments I actually got uh, when I first talked about this, uh, I think late last year, early this year, um, was I got a, a comment on YouTube saying, you really don't think defunding the police will help the community for the better? And I just, no, I, don't, I really don't think that. Uh, and guess what? Time has proven me correct on that because listen to this. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for supporting the Hamlock Podcast by listening to it. One of the other ways you can support us is by supporting our partners and affiliates. So this week we have Good Food. They are by far the favorite meal delivery service of my wife and I. You get casual, fine dining quality food showing up to your door week after week. It's delicious. For me, I hate like planning recipes and shopping for stuff, but I actually love cooking. So this takes out all the parts I don't like about cooking and just leaves the one I do, which is cooking the food with my wife. This week we have beef and shiitake burgers, creamy skillet lasagna with burst cherry tomatoes, and my personal favorite, herbe de Provence chicken and roasted vegetables with creamy chervil shallot vinaigrette. I'm so pumped for that one. Every week, delicious meals delivered right to your door. Get some good food in you and uh, save 40 bucks on your first box of good food. Click the link in the description to get your discount. Cheers. This is from the Washington Times now. Um, Last year's hefty spike in homicides is extending into 2021 with cities that slashed police budgets seeing some of the largest upticks, according to an analysis of data by the Washington Times. And this is a longer article, but I want to go through all these examples because I think this stuff is important. A review of police data and public reporting found that in the first three months of 2021, the homicide rate in 20 major cities across the country rose by 28% from the same period last year. In nine of the cities that made the most dramatic cuts to police department budgets, homicides rose by nearly 68%. Some of those cities are now backtracking, seeking ways to boost department coffers. Portland, Oregon's homicide rate soared a staggering 1900% in 2021, with 20 killings compared with one during the first three months of 2020. The city carved 16 million, or 7%, out of its police budget last year. Austin, Texas, cut 20 million, or 23%, from its department budget, and shifted another 80 million by moving certain services to other departments. Police have reported 19 homicides this year, compared with 14 during the same period last year, a 35% rise. Philadelphia reduced police funding by 5%, or $33 million, and saw homicides climb 25% to 120 in early 2021, from 96 during the same period last year. In Minneapolis, there have been 19 homicides this year, a 46% jump from the 13 in the first quarter of 2020. The city council has shrunk its department's budget by more than $9 million, or 5%. The smaller budgets have forced departments to lay off officers, abandon units, cut training, and scale back hiring goals. Law enforcement officials and some analysts say there is a link between defunding police departments and and rising crime rates. Let me read that again. Law enforcement officials and some analysts say there is a link between defunding police departments and rising crime rates. (laughs) So to me, that's so obvious as to be laughable, but it's like, who could have guessed that? You cut budgets of police departments and crime goes higher. (laughs) amazing um but we have this argument as if like that's not a really obvious conclusion um going on the cuts in budgets whether it is because of the pandemic or defunding the police is leading to a reduction in policing taking place there is more of an opportunity for crime because there's less deterrence said jerry ratcliffe who teaches criminal justice at temple university in philadelphia as part of its budget cuts portland last year disbanded its gun violence reduction team which investigated firearm crimes Community activists had pushed for dismantling the unit, saying it disproportionately targeted people of color. And very often, and there's I've referenced studies on this before, um, 
that like this whole proactive policing thing targeting um, people of color more than than not uh, is is just statistically false. Like it doesn't bear out under scrutiny um, when you when you consider crime rates in those discussions, right? Since the cuts and elimination of the gun violence unit in July, Portland recorded 66 homicides compared with 17 between July 2019 and April 2020. Portland Mayor Ted Wheeler last month backtracked somewhat on on and Ted Wheeler's been just terrible. He actually because they just indicted a. Um, a person from the riot squad, I think a month or two ago, the whole riot squad just quit. So it's just a poorly managed. Ted Wheeler's a, a, just a moron in my opinion. Um, and, and he's kind of just um, screwing over the people of Portland, right? Um, uh, backtrack someone on defunding the police, asking the city's commissioners for $2 million in one-time funding to increase proactive policing. Some of the funds would bolster a six-officer team that responds to shootings around the clock. When you give up on the idea that the police are going to hold people accountable, it's not surprising there will be more violence, said Randy Peterson, a former police officer and senior researcher for the Center for Effective Justice at the Texas Public Policy Foundation. The Los Angeles City Council in July voted to slash $150 million, or 2%, from the police budget. In November, voters approved a measure to devote devote 10% of the city's budget to non-police public safety measures. Last week, less than a year after the budget cuts, Los Angeles County officials voted to boost police funding by $36 million. The 12 to 0 vote included a yay from Los Angeles Mayor Eric Garcetti, a major advocate of defunding the police. In the first three months of 2021, the city saw 77 homicides, up from 60 during the same period in 2020, a 28% uptick. And again, so I mean, just, that's just one of the biggest lessons we can learn from this whole thing is like the flip-flopping and hypocrisy like I talked about, right? So it's like you just have politicians with their finger in the wind, right? <laughs> like just which way is the wind blowing? I'm going to go that way. Um, and they, so they, there's this huge movement to defund the police everywhere. And that's the social justice. That's the virtue signaling thing to do. I've talked about that before. Um, all these people have private security. So it's like, we're, we're going to def rules for thee, but not for me. We're going to defund the police. So the people looking after you... There's less of them on the streets. They're getting paid less. They're getting budget cuts all over the place. Uh, but I have my own private security forces. So what, what do I care, right? Um, so when defunding the police is popular, we're going to do that. But as soon as the crime rates start to hurt their approval ratings, now suddenly they're going to quietly walk that back and start funding the police again. Like, it's just ridiculous. And it's just politics. Um, New York City Council last year slashed $1 billion, or 2%, from the police budget, allocating more than half of the money to other agencies, such as the Department of Education and the Department of Homeless Services. A casualty of the cuts was a 600-officer plainclothes anti-crime unit, which responded to violent crimes. This year, New York has recorded 84 homicides, up 13% from 74 during the first three months of 2020. That unit was the tip of the spear in dealing with violent crime, Mr. Peterson said. I think it is silly to expect anything less than an increase in violent crime if you eliminate that unit. Again, no kidding. Uh, while most big cities' cuts accounts for account for only a small percentage of the police budget, because you can say, like Patrick, oh, they only cut 2%, they only cut 5%, there's such small percentage cuts, what, what does it matter? Um... Let me address it. The reductions still affect the number of officers out on the street. In Los Angeles, for example, the decrease will force the department to reduce its number of officers to 9,757 by next summer from 9,998 last summer. Um, so it's a reduction of about 250, right? Department officials also said they will have to abandon the goal of reaching 10,000 officers within a few years. The Austin City Council tied its budget cuts to the elimination of 100, of 100 officer positions, among other cuts. Defunding is not taking place in huge levels, but pedestrian and traffic stops are down significantly, Mr. Ratcliffe said. There are more opportunities for crime because there is less deterrence. 
obviously, right? And then I'll get the response too when I have these conversations. Like, ah, Patrick, there is a pandemic last year, so it's not fair to use 2020 as like a measuring stick, right? Um, you'll notice so far, uh, if you go back into what I've just said or you read the article yourself, most of these comparisons are, are from the first few months of 2020. So we didn't hit lockdown until like middle of March, April last year. Um, so they're using totally fair comparisons by comparing the beginning of last year before we ever had pandemic measures or anything like that in place. Um, so... Let me address that as well, though, because it goes on to say that some say the rise in homicide rates is not tied to the budget cuts, but rather to the social and economic upheaval caused by the coronavirus pandemic. COVID-19 created lockdowns, which created stress, anxiety, people out of work and people at their wits end, said Alex Picaro, a criminologist at the University of Miami. At the same time, gun sales increased and the drug trade didn't stop. All of those things happening at once are a constellation of factors creating a perfect storm. But Mr. Ratcliffe dismissed COVID-19 as the reason for soaring homicide rates. I think you hear criminologists blame the pandemic because there's not a willingness to acknowledge by those who push to defund the police that the police do have a crime prevention role. <laughs> okay. He says that like that shouldn't be obvious. Like I'm agreeing with this guy, but there is not a willingness to acknowledge by those who push to defund the police that the police do have a crime prevention role. What are police for? Crime prevention. You get rid of them, you, or you cut them back, you have just less officers on the street, more crime. <laughs> Who could have guessed? It's like, the math is not hard here. That's 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 what's hilarious to me about this whole thing. And not hilarious, because what this means is more crime, more people getting hurt, more assault, more robbery, more murder. This is like this is resulting in human tragedy. Um, I know I'm just spouting off a lot of numbers here trying to make a point, but like, those are people's, when you have homicide rates uptick like that, those are families that are losing people. Right. Um, and that's that's the reality on the ground of some of these ridiculous policy changes that, that people are trying to make. This push to defund the police without any consideration of the logic of that um, or the practical consequences of that is is virtue signaling that's getting literally getting people killed. Um, so. Mr. Ratcliffe noted that several European countries, which have been ravaged by the pandemic, have reported drops in violent crime. So there goes that argument. Italy, France, Germany, and UK have all recorded lower homicide, homicide rates in the US this year, according to data from the United Nations Office on Drugs and Crime. Analysts say chopping police department budgets has led to a reduction in so-called proactive policing, an effort by officers to seek out and prevent crime before it happens. He said he expects the homicide rate will continue to rise until cities add more officers to carry out proactive policing. If we continue down this path, we will continue to struggle, he said. Defunding has re resulted in fewer, less capable, less trained police officers. I don't know if we can continue in this kind of environment. We need to abandon this path of defunding the police. So that's, that's I think, that kind of wraps that up. I, it, of course, it's, I mean, it seems like such a simple equation, right? Um, but it's, it's one of those things that's been, it's been so wrapped up, um, in, in like media nonsense and virtue signaling and, um, and a lot of vitriol. This is the thing, like I, I was openly accused of being a racist for saying defunding the police is a bad idea. Uh, when my whole point for saying it's a bad idea is cause I care about all people and, um, specifically in black communities, because that's where a lot of this push is happening. Um, and there's a lot of white liberals pushing it too. Um, it ends up with more black people getting killed, more people of all races getting killed. We defund the police departments, everyone gets hurt. Everyone gets hurt. So my argument is one from compassion. Um, and there's not a set, there's not a mite of evidence that 
I'm a racist for thinking that defunding the police is really stupid, right? And that's the thing that kind of drives me nuts about having these kinds of conversations in 2021 is of like defunding the police is like the greatest idea ever. That's the that's the running argument. That's the mainstream narrative. That's the acceptable opinion. You can't have any other opinions outside of that. Or you get called a racist or a whatever it is, a bigot or whatever. You're like, you become, it's always ad hominem attacks. It's the always attack the character of the people who have dissenting opinions rather than like hearing them out because they're rational points, right? Um, rather than jumping to the, oh, you don't want to see the police defunded? You must be a racist. You must be a white supremacist. It's so ridiculous. It's such a ridiculous accusation. And it's because they don't have a good answer to the very logical argument that like, no, defunding the police is a bad idea. It's going to get people killed, right? <laughs> like, um, they're not willing to have the rational discussion because they know their position is really weak. So instead, they just attack your character. And this happens This happens to me all the time. I, I like to engage on like Instagram and Twitter. And it's so funny how hard it is sometimes to have like a point for point discussion or argument where it's just like you're just arguing in good faith. You're not attacking each other. Um, what seems to happen all the time is like you make a, you make a point and the person doesn't have a good refutation for that point. So instead they just attack your character. They'll, Oh, you're just a right wing, blah, 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 blah. Or you're just, um, you're just a racist. Or this happened to me on Twitter. Like literally it was about, a, about, about abortion. Um, and it's a topic I want to touch on pretty soon here, actually in the coming, coming weeks. Um, but I just use a couple different sources, both left wing and right wing, and a lot of the right wing sources referenced left wing sources. So I was talking about that. But this guy wouldn't come back with an actual argument. He just he literally accused me of being a falling down the right wing rabbit hole. You're just a conspiracy theorist. Uh, he went so far as to call me uh, a racist because of Planned Parenthood's relation to like black communities and stuff like that. Which, if you actually read the thread, there's no, there's not even a hint of any of that, right? It's just ridiculous. He didn't have a good argument, so instead he just attacks me as a character, tries to pigeonhole me as some kind of, um, some kind of extreme far right, alt right bigot, whatever it is, right? Don't do that. Have discussions with people. Don't assume the people you're arguing against are evil or stupid, right? Um, a lot of the times the people in power are and they're disingenuous, but everyday people that you get into discussions with just argue in good faith, have good discussions, don't get crazy, right? Um, there's a lot of middle ground to be found with common everyday people. Um, it's the ones in power that are blatantly lying to us that I think we should be more critical of. But um, that goes on to say, um, I have had a lot of great conversations, right? Especially around the Israel episode I did. Um, I had a bunch of, I don't know what it was about that topic, but I had a lot of really like well thought out responses from people. Um, you know who you are and I appreciate you so much. Uh, I had some negative ones too. I started posting on TikTok, a lot of clips from that one. And man, that, <laughs> that you want to talk about real racism, go read the comments of some of my TikTok videos. Cause there's like people openly calling for like the genocide of Israeli people. Um, throughout all, it's incredibly racist towards, or anti-Semitic towards Jewish, like blatantly. I'm not just like hyping that up to be sensational. Um, there's a lot of that. Um, but I did have really good conversations with a few people that I really appreciated. So I wanted to address some of those points. Um, and, uh, oh, we actually wanted, we wanted to talk to you really quickly about, um, I just wanted to address, I'm going to talk about this more. I've mentioned that before. Um, residential schools, cause there's been a lot of stuff that's come up in the news in Canada lately, um, of, just the uh, discovery or rediscovery um, of of graves grave sites on residential schools, and you have numbers in the hundreds of like graves of like children. Um, this report is saying it was, a lot of it was like tuberculosis, or it could have been abuse, or it's people are trying to find the sources of how these how these children died. Um, regardless, residential schools are a massive blight on on the country of Canada, and uh, and it's um, 
it's disgusting that our government had a huge hand in this mismanagement, just like disgusting policies um, of like forced assimilation. And, and unfortunately, the, the church had a big part of it as well. Um, and sometimes I think the intentions were good, the pro- but the policy and the practice turned out to be a nightmare. And I want to do a deep dive into that whole subject. But um, yeah, it just a lot of the stuff. I know there's a lot of pain in, uh, in the First Nations community in Canada with the discovery of these graves. And it's um, really rough. And I want to talk about it more and give it the respect it deserves. But I just wanted to mention it because it's a lot. It's in the news right now. Um, but to follow up with Israel... Um, some of the main critiques I got were, uh, the Israeli settlements are illegal, right? Um, so talking about the West Bank there really quickly on that, uh, the six day war is that was in, uh, 1967. That's where Israelis won the land in the West Bank. Um, and that's where the settlements are being built. So since the six day war was arguably legal, right? People say, well, just Israel attacked, uh, Egypt and for, for no reason, um, what actually happened was Nasser, um, the leader of Egypt, was he actually broke the terms of a ceasefire that was going on back then. So it's not a stretch to say that it was a legal war. And if even if Israel technically fired first, um, it's because Nasser broke the ceasefire, terms of the ceasefire. So by international law, if the war is legal, then it is legal to actually occupy and build settlements in the land that you took during a war in which you were threatened, right? Um, so there is an argument for that. I'm not saying that's like the end all be all of the argument, but there is a fair argument that the war is legal thereby the occupation is legal, right? Because um, welcome to the history of military conquest, conquests ever. Like every time a nation takes land in a war, especially one in which they weren't uh, the initial aggressor because Nasser was being threatening and moving like, move the kick the UN basically out of the area. There was like a buffer zone between Egypt and, and Israel. Um, kicked the UN out of it, moved a bunch of troops there. It was pretty obvious they were about to attack Israel. And so Israel made it a, a preemptive strike at their airport, right? Um, other argument was that Israel commits war crimes as well. Um, and again, this, yeah, stuff of the Israel has been guilty of war crimes here. Um, a lot of those stories are incredibly hyped up and sensationalized by by media um, and by activists who are anti, uh, anti-Semitic or anti-Israel. Um but uh, specifically the two groups that someone mentioned here were, were the groups called the Irgun and the Lehi, um, which were more radical groups. They were eventually actually assimilated into the Haganah, which is like the main Israeli paramilitary organization that eventually became the IDF. Um, but they were done, they, they were assimilated into the into the larger Israeli military so that the Israeli military could like keep better tabs on them because they weren't uh, they weren't often practicing a moral war. And, and Israel's military forces have been really... Um, they go further than a lot of militaries in the world um, to make sure they're fighting a moral war and they're not just ruthlessly attacking civilians and that kind of thing, right? Um, so, uh, are mistakes made in war? Yeah, of course. Um, but this is from uh, this is Robert Kemp in CNS News. Based on my knowledge, uh, Roger Kemp is a commander, a general, I think. Um, based on my knowledge and experience, I can say this. During Operation Cast Lead, the Israeli Defense Forces did more to safeguard the rights of civilians in a combat zone than any other army in the history of warfare. And that's generally true of Israel's military forces, right? Israel did so while facing an enemy that deliberately positioned its military capability behind the human shield of the civilian population. In his brief presentation, Kemp said that Hamas was expert at driving the media agenda and adept at staging and distorting incidents. He listed some of the steps taken by the IDF, including dropping warning leaflets in targeted areas, aborting missions that could have taken out Hamas military capability in order to prevent civilian casualties, and allowing humanitarian aid into Gaza during the conflict. Despite all of this, of course innocent innocent civilians were killed. War is chaos and full of mistakes. There have been mistakes by the British, American, and other forces in Afghanistan and Iraq, many of which can be put down to human error. But mistakes are not war war crimes, Kemp said. 
and so that's the thing. A lot of the argument too is like the get into like the land rights and all this kind of stuff. Um, I read a great book called Reclaiming Israel's History, which talks a lot about the history. It's a pretty fair book too. There's not a lot of critique of it being um, biased, and it seems to present a pretty fair argument. <sighs> this is the thing. Going by the history of it, right, um, 1937 with the Peel Commission, 1948 um, with the UN, uh, 1967, all these times where there's been like offers of peace and then answers of war from the Palestinian side, right, over and over and over again, Israel has acted in good faith and offered land, right? It, it was like the first one, the Peel Commission, it was like Israel was going to get 20% of Palestine water, whereas Palestinians were going to get uh, 80%. And they weren't even called Palestinians. The national identity as Palestinians didn't even begin until like the 1960s, right? Um, but there's like an Arab nationalist movement that, that preempted all that, right? Um, but um, you get into this whole land rights argument, looking at the history of it, and Dennis Prager says this, right? If... The Palestinians put down their arms today, tomorrow there would be peace in the Middle East, right? If Israel laid down their arms today, by tomorrow, Israel would cease to exist. They'd be annihilated because um, that's been the running theme throughout the whole the whole history of the area over the last like 100 years. Um, there's just been a refusal to negotiate on the part of the Palestinian leadership, right? And obviously, the Palestinians themselves, the civilians, are, are victims of this whole thing, right? I have utmost compassion for those people. Um, but their leadership refuses to negotiate, complete, continues to endorse terrorism, whether it's actively perpetrating the terrorism or it's a pay-to-slay policy where they're paying off the families of terrorists for um, being suicide bombers or killing Jews or whatever it is. There's a ton of endorsement or... Um, or perpetration of terrorist activities by Palestinian leadership. Um, so it's pretty clear who the aggressors are to me, um, if you look at the history of it. Um, so that kind of wraps up the main uh, responses I got to that, and I'd love to hear uh, your responses on that if you think I'm still out to lunch. But back again with another way to support the Hemlock Podcast. One of the things I try to be really faithful to do is stay as true to the facts as I can. So sometimes that means going a little beyond the bounds of your average internet search, doing a deep dive, jumping into a book. This week, the topic was Israel-Palestine conflict. The book was Reclaiming Israel's History, Roots, Rights, and the Struggle for Peace by David Brog. Super fantastic read, comprehensive history of the area, tries to be really fair, highly recommended. No history is so disputed as the history of Israel. Some see Israel's creation as a dramatic act of justice for the Jewish people. Others insist that it was a crime against Palestine's Arabs. Author David Brog untangles the facts from the myths to reveal the truth about the Arab-Israeli conflict. Brog frankly admits to Israel's sins, both large and small, but notes that in any fair-minded analysis, these have been far outweighed by Israel's commitment to Western values, including freedom, democracy, and human rights. Great book on the subject. Check it out for yourself. Now, back to the podcast. Cheers. Uh, on a lighter note, <laughs> uh, Abuela, AOC's Abuela. So Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, um, she's the congresswoman conservatives love to hate. And uh, it's because she says a lot of dumb, a lot of dumb stuff. And I'm sure she's an intelligent person in some respect, but she says a lot of really silly stuff. Um, and so she tweeted this out. Uh, Just over a week ago, my abuela fell ill. I went to Puerto Rico to see her. My first time in a year, year plus because of COVID. This is her home. Hurricane Maria relief hasn't arrived. Trump blocked relief money for Puerto Rico. People are being forced to flee ancestral homes and developers are taking them. So, and she posts this picture of like her grandmother's dilapidated, dilapidated home, right? 
Uh, and so Matt Walsh from Daily Wire, and I know I'm a fan. People don't like Daily Wire, or whatever. If if you haven't listened to them, most people that don't like Daily Wire haven't listened to them. They just heard the left leftists talk about Daily Wire, so they have a really warped view of who they are. They're good souls. They're hilarious. Um, intelligent people. So <laughs> Matt Walsh uh, from Daily Wire issued the following statement regarding his. Uh, this is basically what he did: is he started a GoFundMe campaign for AOC's abuela, right? <laughs> so because she just wants to blame Trump and blame whatever, blame blame Republicans for it, and um, and Matt Walsh was like, why why doesn't she help me? You know, AOC makes one hundred and eighty grand a year. Just bought a Tesla a little while ago, right? Why didn't she do anything to help her her abuela? So. Uh, he issued the following statement regarding his GoFundMe campaign to help rebuild AOC's uh, abuela's house in Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico. I sprung to action when AOC shared heartbreaking photos on Twitter of her abuela's house that was impacted by Hurricane Maria in 2017. AOC, who earns over 180 grand per year and drives a luxury car, blamed Donald Trump for the dire state of her ancestral home in Puerto Rico. I wanted to help the abuela de AOC. So with the help of over 3,000 supporters, including Ben Shapiro, Michael Knowles, Candace Owens, and David Bazell, I raised $110,000 in just a few hours to help her rebuild her house. Unfortunately, last night, GoFundMe informed us it suspended our campaign after AOC's family declined the aid. I'm grateful for the outpouring of support for AOC's abuela, even if AOC isn't. But questions do remain. Why didn't AOC help her own abuela for nearly four years? Why did she turn down our help? Does AOC only want government help? Why has she remained silent? All we can do is speculate. On my end, I'll continue fighting to make the world a better place, one abuelita at a time. <laughs> so I think this is just beautiful. This is like, uh, I think this is like expert level trolling, right? Because AOC is an out and out, which calls herself a democratic socialist, which is a modifier to make socialists sound better because there's still a, a, a deserved degree of antipathy towards socialists in, in the US. Um, so she's now a democratic socialist, thinks basically that uh, we should have incredibly high taxes and then the government can redistribute wealth where it sees fit. So having massive social programs, right, where they just basically confiscate a ton of wealth from people who are working hard to get it uh, and then redistributing it, having large social programs. So it's it's premised on like caring for the poor and like really compassionate, right? Um, it never works out that way because governments are greedy. And so like every time you have a, a state you have human factors involved, right? Where it's like all the wealth is getting funneled through this little group of people in the government, right? This supposedly noble state. Um, you have massive amounts of, of greed and corruption, right? And, and, and poverty and all your incentives for, for being innovative and creative and starting, starting businesses and creating the amazing new products like we have in North America, all those go away on our socialist system, right? So here she is talking about how the, <laughs> the thing is you never have socialists living this out in their own life, right? She wants to take everyone else's money, right? To help people apparently, but she at 180 grand a year can't afford to help her grandmother fix her roof, right? So uh, I think this is brilliant. And props to Matt Walsh and the rest of everybody. Uh, I actually donated to that GoFundMe campaign myself, um, partially because I think it's actually compassionate to help with causes like that, and partially because it's just a super funny troll, um, especially because her family ended up refusing it. They, they wouldn't even let, uh, they wouldn't accept help from conservatives, even though uh, they, you know, she wanted to get online and, and virtue signal about it, right? So anyways, very funny. Last thing we're going to talk about today um, before we wrap it up 
is uh, suddenly it's okay to talk about the Wuhan lab conspiracy, right? Everyone gave like ranked Trump over the coals for this last year when he started talking about how it might have come from the Wuhan lab. Uh, and let me show you just a couple of clips of the media saying how you're just not supposed to talk about this. The best evidence suggests that the kind of bat from which this virus jumped to humans wasn't even present there. But you know the worst of all, whether it came from the lab or came from the bats, or came, it all came from China. Because we don't know where the novel coronavirus came from yet, the conspiracy theories fill the void. I'm telling you, the Chi-Coms are trying to weaponize this thing. Here's Conservative talk show host Rush Limbaugh with zero proof suggesting a Chinese bioweapon lab is to blame. There's this question about the Wuhan lab. We know that it's been debunked. Those same agencies now have been tapped with investigating one of Trump world's most favorite conspiracy theories. This week, Donald Trump is still pushing the debunked bunkum, despite his own intelligence community's findings that that is simply not true. And there is simply no reason to believe that that, that is the case. There is no empirical evidence to verify that. Coming up with a conspiracy theory to try and foment xenophobia um, with respect to um, the Chinese has just as much factual support as taking Clorox. He can't just sit back and let the doctors and the scientists do their jobs. He's got to chime in. He may pick up the conspiracy theory that this was some weapon. People don't keep bats in captivity. Complete baloney. We don't need to invoke conspiracy theories. This is just another example of, of the president trying to change the narrative from his own failings. The problem for President Trump is that he's running for re-election, is looking for ways to deflect blame for uh, the performance of the administration. If you look at the evolution of the virus in bats and what's out there now... This is my favorite part. It's very, very strongly leaning towards this could not have been artificially or deliberately manipulated. That's Fauci in so I wanted to ask, are you still confident that it developed naturally? No, actually, I, Fauci in that's the point that I said it. No, I'm not convinced uh, about that. I think that we should continue to investigate what went on in China. So I just think that's brilliant. You just see all these people flip-flopping, right, all over the map. Um, Trump's a racist for saying it might have come from a Chinese lab uh, back in 2020. But now that there's incredible evidence that it very well may uh, very may what that <laughs> it very well may have come from this lab. Um, now it's okay to say. And one of the funniest evidences of that is uh, was I don't know if you saw John Stewart on Stephen Colbert. This is a longer clip, but uh, it's hysterical. So we're gonna watch it. Um, cause I think it's really funny and points out the, uh, kind of the hypocrisy I've been talking about. I, and I honestly mean this, I think we owe a great debt of gratitude to science. Science has in many ways helped ease, uh, the suffering of this pandemic, uh, which was more than likely caused by science. <laughs> So, and that's kind of. Hold on, that? I just watched. No, 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 Colbert no, 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 is such a penny waste throughout no, this entire. Listen, listen. I'll, it's I'll, coffee. I would just keep kind of like walking back. I'm and what, what do you? Takes, but what do you? What, 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 what do you mean by? Do you mean like? Perhaps John Stewart. There's, there's a chance that this was created in a lab. There's an investigation. A chance. Well, but I, so, I, 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 oh my if God. there's evidence, I'd love to hear it. There's I just don't a know. novel respiratory coronavirus overtaking Wuhan, China. What do we do? Oh, you know who we could ask? The 
Wuhan novel respiratory coronavirus lab. <laughs> the disease is the same name as the lab. That's just, that's just a little too weird, don't you think? And then they I, ask I, those scientists, they're like, how did this, so wait a minute, you work at the Wuhan respiratory coronavirus lab. How did this happen? And they're like, mm, a pangolin kissed a turtle. <laughs> and you're like, no, I, you, you, the wait, name wait, of your lab, wait. if you look at the name, look at the name, can I, let me see your business card. Show me your business card. Oh, I work at the coronavirus lab in Wuhan. Oh, because there's a coronavirus loose in Wuhan. How did that happen? Maybe a bat flew into the cloaca of a turkey and then it sneezed into my chili and now we all have coronavirus. Like, come on. Okay, 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 wait a second, wait a what second. What about this? What about this? Listen to this. Wait a second. All right. John. Oh my God. Oh my God. There's been an outbreak of chocolatey goodness near Hershey, Pennsylvania. What do you think happened? Like, oh, I don't know. Maybe a steam shovel made it with a cocoa bean. Or it's the <laughs> chocolate factory. Maybe that's it. That could be. That could be. That, that could By be. By the way, Let me... I gave them all tuberculosis. Just yes. That could, that could very well be, and Anthony Fauci and Francis Collins at NIH have said, like, it should definitely be investigated. Don't stop with the logic and people and things. The no, name of the disease... You have to appeal to his Lord and Savior, Wait Anthony Fauci. Building. Wait a second. But I, it could be possible, you could be right, it could be possible that they have the lab in Wuhan to study the novel coronavirus diseases because... In Wuhan, there are a lot of novel coronavirus diseases because of the bat population sure, no, there. I understand. It's, it's like the same. It's like, a local a specialty, and it's the only place to find bats. You won't find bats no, anywhere it's like else. Saying, oh why? wait, Austin, Texas has thousands of them that fly out of a cave every night, every night at dusk. Is there a, a coronavirus in Austin? Coronavirus? No, it doesn't seem to be in Austin. Coronavirus. <laughs> the only coronavirus we have is in Wuhan. Yes. Where they have a lab called... What's the lab called again, Stephen? The Wuhan what? Novel Coronavirus Lab. I believe that's uh -huh. the case. And now, how long have you worked for Senator Ron Johnson? Let me tell yeah, you something. He doesn't have a response to his point, so he just attacks John Stewart. He just criticizes this him. This is not a conspiracy. Here's it, the thing it, about science. A, you could be right. Here's, you could be right. But this is the problem with science. Science is incredible. But they don't know when to stop, and nobody in the room with those cats ever goes, yeah, I don't know if we should do that. Like, they're, uh, a few I agree, years back... I agree with you. If science can do it, they will do it. They will do it. They're like, oh, curiosity killed the cat. Oh, okay, well, let's kill 10,000 cats to find out why. And you're like, that's what science does. They, they push things. They, they do the thing like, okay, listen to this. So, a few years back... You know we stopped filming a long time ago. I understand that. Ago. What do you want to allow the opinion to air? This is... Or at least makes this a joke referencing such. I've been... I... I've... I've been alone for so long. <laughs> And when I realized that the laboratory was having the same name, <laughs> first name and last name, 
of the evil that had been plaguing us, I thought to myself, that's up. Listen, listen to what I'm saying. John, they, I'll tell you what I'm suspicious of. I'm gonna... I'll tell you what I'm suspicious of. I'm suspicious of the Daytona Beach Spring Break Herpes Lab. <laughs> that might be where all the herpes comes from. Has to make fun of Florida, because it's a Republican state, right? Uh, I've, <laughs> I've been to that lab. Oh, I know. Uh, oh, I know. <laughs> we, we have to take a brief break, John. What? Yes. We'll be right back with more of wherever this edit happened. Stick around. <laughs> So you just see, I, I, I mean, I can't stand Stephen. Col I used to like Stephen Colbert. I can't stand him, especially in that clip, because um, the entire time he's just trying. He's just cowardice. Like he just keeps walking it back. He's towing the party line, makes an appeal to Lord and Savior Anthony Fauci, and he's criticizing John Stewart and again, still calling him a conspiracy theorist for making a really logical point. Did the coronavirus come from Wuhan lab? I don't know. I don't know if it'll ever come out. I'd love to find out where it actually came from, but who knows? The point is, it's a very logical, rational point based on exactly what John Stewart just said, and he said it in a hilarious way. Um, but that was a that was that that opinion was anathema. You could not say that Trump was a racist for saying that. Any conservative that even mentioned that it was called the Wuhan lab conspiracy, right? People just denounce people as conspiracy theorists um, because it's not the accepted opinion. Why? Why? It's a perfectly logical position to hold. And the fact that we shut down discussion to that extent really makes me nervous in our society, I think. If we keep going that direction, um, it doesn't go to good places. It goes to scary places, right? Um, and so uh, I, that's what I'd like to see is just the reason I think free speech is such a big issue right now is because we keep shutting down conversations like that. Um, John Stewart hilariously points out how how common sense, how rational position that is to hold. Um, just to suggest it may have come from there, but you weren't allowed to do that for almost a year until our benevolent overlords decided it was okay to now have that opinion, right? Um, so anyways, that, yeah, free speech is really important, I think. And so that's a really funny um, and kind of scary example of how it was just shut down for a long time. So that's why this podcast, I want it to be known for having... <laughs> the courage to talk about unpopular opinions. And thank you for those that listen, listen to this podcast um, because it, it shows you have the courage to hear opinions that you maybe haven't heard before, things that you might disagree with. Uh, and hopefully you have the courage to discuss those with, with people in your life. Um, because without the ability to discuss things rationally, we never find solutions for anything. If you're shutting down one side of the discussion entirely, um, that's a recipe to just go further, devolve further and further into extremism. So, um, so thanks for being willing to listen to maybe what are the unpopular opinions. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I want to promise you that I'm going to have the courage to keep, keep talking about them. And, uh, cause we need, we need free speech back. We need to get to a place where we can discuss things without having, um, unpopular opinions shut down often forcefully. Um, so anyways, God bless. Thanks for listening. Go check out the website, hemlockpodcast.com. I want to see some membership start rolling. I'd love to start hanging out with you guys and uh, get some of those water bottles going out because they're pretty fun and pretty hilarious. And uh, go check them out. So much love. You guys have a great week and uh, we'll see you soon. Take care.
Thank you so much, everybody, for listening to this week's Hemlock Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and share it with your friends and family. Tell them to subscribe because if you loved it, then they're going to love it too, obviously. Also, head on over to iTunes to leave us a five-star rating and review. That helps us a lot with the charts. And if you're not going to leave us five stars, then forget about it. Don't worry about it and enjoy the rest of your day. Lastly, head on over to thehemlockpodcast.locals.com to become a supporter and receive access to exclusive content and ad-free versions of the Hemlock Podcast. Love you so much for listening. Let's continue to ride out this increasingly insane world with irreverence and joy. This is your host, Patrick Jolliker, and... Much love, y'all. Peace.